0: Amen. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, tonight we just bow uh, in your presence and we ask for the Holy Spirit to come, Lord, to have your way among us tonight in this place. Lord, we come just with open hearts, Lord, to present ourselves to you tonight, Lord, that you would have your way, Lord, truly have your way in our lives. Lord, we, as best as we can, we present our bodies tonight to you as a living sacrifice. We surrender afresh our hearts, our lives, our wills, our ambitions, our plans, Lord, right all before the cross tonight and pray that you would come down among us and move by your power and speak with that voice, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would clear as it were. Lord, help us to clear the clutter, Lord, from our minds, from our thoughts, from, Lord, the day that we have had, from the things that are happening even in our lives and all the circumstances and the busyness of life. We ask tonight, Lord, help us to lay everything aside and, Lord, that you would clearly speak into our hearts afresh tonight. We realize, Lord, that, Lord, the words of men are just the words of man, but Lord, we pray for the speaking voice of Almighty God, that Jesus, our great shepherd, would speak tonight. Lord, that our ears would hear, our hearts would be touched, our lives would be changed, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move upon us. So, Lord, we lift the needs before you tonight. We pray for Amira, Lord, that you would undertake for this little one, Lord. She is your child, Lord. And, Lord, we thank you for the great plan that you have for her life. And, Lord, we pray that you would touch her, Lord, right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that she would be healed, Lord, that everything, Lord, that is, uh, Lord, every ailment, Lord, in her body, Lord, would suddenly and instantly, she would be made whole. Even this very hour as we pray, we ask in Jesus' name, believing, and a God who hears and answers prayer. Lord, we ask, oh God, Lord, for a tank sister again. Just touch this lady tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord. Would you be with her? Would you guide the surgeon's hand, Lord? But even before that, we pray, Lord, that you would do a miracle in this woman's life, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have borne all our sins and our diseases on your body, on that tree, and we thank you for the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, shut us in with yourself, Lord, speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn uh, to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. And uh, just over these three Wednesday nights, as I'd shared with you, um, the Lord has given me these three messages. There really isn't anything new. Um, It is just, I believe, a timely word, but I also believe that it's God's God's heart at this time for us is a fellowship. Uh, God wants to speak to us individually. Uh, he wants to speak to us collectively. And it is on the subject that we are well familiar with, what we pray about, which we've listened to messages about. We have read the testimonies about. We pray often. It is on revival. And uh, we are a church that believes in revival and believes from God's word, in revival, that there is a final outpouring of the Spirit of God. There is a great harvest. There is a revival in the body of Christ for God to come for a church that's victorious, and it's an overcoming church, and it's filled with the Holy Spirit, and that we believe passionately in a revival, and that the church needs revival. It needs a move of the Spirit of God. The church needs to be awakened uh, with the power of the Spirit of God, and so Uh, tonight as we look at this we believe and I know we all collectively together uh, would say amen to that which there's the need of a revival but I want to bring it very much where revival must begin and revival isn't out there revival begins in the heart of God's people and so it's if I say it this way, it can be easier at times to pray that revival is out there and we need revival to come and we need revival to happen. But revival only happens and will happen when it starts in an individual heart. And so revival begins with me and it starts right in here. Revival starts with me. It starts with you as an individual and rather than the collective Or rather than thinking of what's happening in the world or what the church needs or what's happening so much in the church and what's wrong. We need to just start right here, right where we are. We need to start with us and not only us, but it needs to start with me. And so that's, we're going to start tonight with start the work in me. Revival, start the work. In me, can you say that tonight? Revival, start the work in me. So, Psalm fifty-one: Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge. My transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy Of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word uh, tonight. Every true revival, every true revival that has ever taken place has started in the heart of one individual. That is the reality of revival. Yes, simultaneously it may also start in others, but it always starts in one heart, in one life. Quickly others, we see in the history of revivals, we be stirred. And collectively we see from a little coal that is lit and as coals then together come together, revival fire begins to burn brightly. And then, as one of the great saints of old said, many will come to see us burn. Revival always has and will start with one person. God finds a place on this planet Earth that he has created. And on this planet Earth with seven billion people, God Almighty, the Almighty God, finds one heart the High and the Lofty One who inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, who dwells in the High and the Holy Place. This God finds a heart, a heart of contrition, a, a heart of a humble spirit. And in that heart, the Almighty God, finding that one individual, He begins to revive the spirit of the humble And to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Would God find such a heart in this room tonight? Would God Almighty find a heart of contrition and humble in spirit. That the revival that we pray, sing, preach and long for. Even in this room tonight would begin to break forth. Just because God finds one heart that is broken and humble before him. The word revive or revival uh, simply means to return to consciousness or life. To become active or flourishing again. Uh, The transitive verb simply means to restore to consciousness or life. Or to restore from a depressed or in active state to bring back, to renew in mind or in memory. In other words, a move of the Holy Spirit in revival power restores the individual into full, sh- full fellowship and full communion with God. And full resurrection life and power begins to flow from the throne of God into that vessel and out of that vessel. Nothing dies or nothing is dying without sin. The need for revival is as a result of sin. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And the individual, when the Spirit of God begins to move, becomes deeply aware of their own spiritual state. Sin and the principle of sin and the work of sin will always bring death. Always. We are either dying or going to die in the natural because of sin. In the spiritual and in the church life and in the workings of God, we are either dying or dead as a direct result of sin. It is sin That robs us of the fullness and the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in James 1 and 15. That sin when it is finished it brings forth death. I don't know how many times over recent years that I've heard many make this statement. And I have also made it after leaving a service or a meeting or wherever, it was dead. Have you ever heard people say that? It was dead. Well, I want to put to you tonight that the reason why it is dead, the reason why it is dead is because God's people are dead. And death comes because of sin so when revival and the dealings of God and revival comes and when there's a deep concern for revival we become concerned about sin we become uncomfortable with the life that we're living and how we are living as Christians we become concerned as the Holy Spirit moves upon us about our lives, our heart, our walk, our thought life, our actions, our deeds. The individual heart becomes aware and convicted by the power of the Holy Ghost because sin has brought death or we are dying as a result of sin. All sin, all sin. Often what we don't realize and what happens is that we go on for such a long time living in a certain way or practicing our faith in a certain way, not realizing that things of commending our lives that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is grieved at. And we don't necessarily see it as sinful. And so we accommodate these practices or things in our lives but then we become disturbed with the lack of life, zeal, joy, power, vigor that God has purchased for us that we should all enjoy as the followers of Christ and we become unsettled. And so the Holy Spirit then will begin to work in our lives. All sin Of course, there's the obvious sins that we are familiar with. Adultery and fornication and drunkenness and murder and lies. But when God really begins to move deeply in a fellowship and in the individual, he deals with everything in that life. Not just the sins that are so easily seen, Are so easily pointed out by each other. But the Holy Spirit begins to deal deeply into the heart. And into the deep things in a life. And I thank God for it. I thank God for it. I know in the preparation and over these weeks or so. In in preparing these messages. And again they're nothing new. But it has reminded me of how wonderful and how gracious and how good God is when God begins to deal with His people because the goodness of God brings us to repentance. He's a good Father. He loves us so much, He'll chastise us. He'll discipline us. He'll bring us in the line because He loves us. And so I'm thankful for the dealings of God In our lives, we talked about it this afternoon, Nicky and myself, and just being so thankful that God would come and visit us and God would convict us as Christians and God would deal with our hearts and God would break into our lives and not leave us to our own ways, but in his mercy, he would draw us back to himself. And the urgency then comes, I want to repent and I want to get right with God. The dealings of God. And I have no doubt, and others were part of this at that time, that we experienced revival. It it was fully revival. And I know it was the same for others in different parts and different experiences. We experienced a season of revival and the dealings of God, I tell you, brothers and sisters, the goodness of God brought us to repentance. He dealt with us, but there were things in our lives that we did not perceive to be sinful. They were fine, and most of the world and most of the church would say, Hey, that's no problem. But when the person of the Holy Spirit When He begins to deal, it's not what the world think or what people in the church think. We're more interested in what does the Holy Spirit think? Grieve in the Holy Spirit. And when He begins to reveal His heart and the heart of the Father and bring the conviction of sin, thank God for a season where there's genuine repentance A season where there's tears, a season where idols that are in our lives and in our home were pulled down. A season where it wasn't a chore or it wasn't a sense of this is death, it was a sense of great joy. As the times of refreshing came from the presence of the Lord. And God is dealing with our lives. Bringing us to an altar. Bringing us to repentance. Putting those things right. Thank God for God's dealings. And there's a sense in all of this. From my point of view. That God wants to deal Again. And so it's not so much, but it will be, the very obvious sins that we can easily point out in the church. But then it goes to things of the heart that are not seen on the outward. It goes down into the depths of unforgiveness and our motives and our agendas, things that are in our lives, idols that are in our hearts. Thoughts, mindsets, loose tongues, lying tongues, (sighs) gossiping tongues, the love of money, the ambitions, ungodly relationships, worldliness. When God, in His mercy, begins to deal with this, sin becomes exceedingly sinful, not to the sinner on the street, but to those that love the Lord. And so he begins to deal with us in a way but as a father would deal with his child. But in his mercy, he draws us. And there's this need that comes. There's this desire, this overwhelming desire comes in that I want to get right with God. I want to meet with him. I want to encounter him. I want the floods of his presence and his mercy and his grace to be flooding into our souls. I want there to be tears flowing at the altar. I want there to be a sense of how great God is and how holy God is and how much we need Him. So every revival will have these revelations. It begins with one. And not only does it begin with one, but there is a consciousness then there is a consciousness of God's view on sin and that almost, sadly, in a general sense, has gone from the church today. It's like someone has just cut the, the ropes that held her in that moral path and allowed her to go free to do whatever she wants. So there's this consciousness that comes to the heart and the urgency or the need to get before God becomes a pressing matter. It's an urgency that comes to the heart. O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival but start it in me. The Spirit can fix. Thank God for Holy Ghost conviction. On the church. The Spirit can fix. And then the individual has. Everyone has. The ability to choose what they'll do. Whether they'll respond or whether sometimes through fear, but most of the times it's not through fear, it's something else. We'll come to it in a moment. We pull back, and we'd rather stay the course as we are, believing that somehow we have chosen the better way, not realizing how much we're going to miss out. And so we have a responsibility to respond And as the heart, not the mouth or the ears or anything else, but as the heart begins to respond, it is amazing how the Holy Spirit suddenly begins to draw that individual to the cross and to Christ. Because that's what he has been sent to do. So much today really if we are honest in the church, so much today in the church general, but as individuals, it has become more like the story that the Lord told in Luke chapter 18 when there was a man, two men in the congregation, one a Pharisee, and he stood and he prayed and he thanked God that he's not like other people. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. But Lord, look at me. It's like I'm so thankful I'm not as bad as him or her. And that that Pharisee, that type of spirit has nothing to do with how you look on the outward part. It's a condition of the heart of a man or a woman. Well, I'm not like them. I'm not just like this. And then on the other side, there's the 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 publican you know, or the sinner, who's beating his breast and calling out to God, and saying, "Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner." One man left justified. One man left justified. You know who it was. So much of Christianity has become like the like the Pharisee here. We go on and if we fall out of communion with the Lord and that intimacy with him and the dealings of God in our lives where he's truly working with us, where we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit and the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God in our lives and we're fully cooperating with him. He will make us the men and the women of God that he wants us to be. But when that communion and that intimacy isn't there, it would amaze you and shock you how far we can go. Far we can go on our own strength and our own ability. And how we can become so proud of we, how we are and what we are as Christians. And we hide most of that as we looked at it on Sunday morning with the fig leaves of religion and talents and and all the rest of it, but really beyond it all, the dealings of God, the necessity for God to deal with His people and His mercy. Now we don't become, as individuals, men and women, presumptuous in ourselves that we are just not like them. Brothers and sisters, we're just sinners saved by the grace of God. If we ever have this thought that we're not like them, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit will be lifted suddenly and the blessing stops. The question is, so often in church life, And I've been brought to church all my life. But in church life so often, people seem to want to compare themselves to each other. People want to measure themselves or gauge themselves with other people. And it's a dangerous thing. Because there's only one man that we're to look to. And that man's Jesus. It happens a lot and with preachers as well, more so probably than anywhere else, comparing it's so dangerous. I was just looking today at so many well known preachers, and how many of them finished well and how many finished shipwreck. Instead of one, one of the most famous ones that we know, it was Billy Graham. But there was a testimony, and I certainly didn't agree with some of the things that he said in his latter life, but one of the things that were said concerning him was this. He walked with presidents. He preached to tens of thousands of people across the whole world, but when he was an old man, when there was no cameras, when there was no presidents, no kings, when there was no crowds, and just sitting as an old man on a chair in his house, he was completely satisfied with Jesus. The fame that God had given was never anything of why he did it. Everything of his walk in life was firmly fixed in the person Jesus Christ. Question really is, are we willing to allow the Holy Ghost? Are we willing individually to work in our hearts in such a way? We might find that we're not as spiritual as what we think we are. We might find that we're just not as mature in the faith as what we think we are. We might find things that we are happy with, but the Holy Spirit isn't. We might have things in our lives that we've come to accept, but the Holy Spirit simply says, that's sin and that grieves me. David's mercy, David's cry for mercy in Psalm 51, of course, is after his great sin. There's a cry for God to wash him and to cleanse him and to purge him. The Holy Ghost, I believe in the, in the, in the type of Nathan the prophet, comes to David who had held sin in his heart very obviously over that period of time. And the Holy Spirit pointed out, the Holy Spirit pointed out within David the sin that was in his heart. And this examination by the Holy Spirit brought forth a sincere cry to God God, what does it open with? Have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. He goes on to say in verse 3, and if you note. The eyes and the mys. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thy speak be clear when thy judges. Verse 6 says, Behold, behold, Lord, he confesses, you desire truth. Where does he desire truth? Write down in the inner parts. And in the hidden part, I shall make known, make me to know wisdom. It's so easy in the culture that we live in today, so easy in the hour that we have come to, in a society that wants to blame everybody else. We're living in a world that there is a reason why you're in the position you're in. And so it's very important then for this world and the mindset to blame something or someone or even possibly conditions which are endless. When David was addressed by the Holy Spirit, you note that David cried for mercy and mercy he would find. And the mercy he would find is when he acknowledged, Lord, it's me. this was a man who was after the heart of God. And this is what he said in Psalm chapter 26 and verse 1. Look at this first two verses, but verse 1 says this, Psalm 26 verse 1. He said, Judge me, O Lord. Now David presents to the Lord his walk. For I have walked in mine integrity. Lord, he says, you judge me. Lord, you judge me. For I have walked in my integrity. Then he goes on to say, I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. That's what David said. Now, Lord, you judge me. You make a judgment on my life and my walk. Do you know, probably today, 80 or 90% of the church will just stop right there and say, Lord, you know me. I've walked and I've trusted you and I've served you and I've been faithful. Now, Lord, you know and I know. But then he says in verse 2, this is a man that's after God's own heart. Then he said, now, Lord, I've said that, but Lord, would you examine me? Lord, would you now prove me? Lord, would you try my reins and my heart? I mean, let me ask you tonight, do you trust him enough to say that to him? Do you trust your Father, your Heavenly Father, enough to say, Lord, would you examine me? I know this isn't necessarily popular, but we're really not here to be popular we really need to be here to know the heart of God. What is he saying at this time? Lord, would you examine me? I've served you for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But Lord, in all my dealings, and all my walk, I just want to ask you, Lord, I'm coming to you in faith in my heart. I just simply say, Lord, tonight, would you examine me where I am? Would you examine my walk? Would you examine, would you try my reins? Would you look into my heart? Would you know what my motives are? Would you test what I'm here for, what I'm about, what my ambitions are? Lord, would you do that because I want them things to be pure in your sight. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 28 concerning the Lord's table, let a man, was it say? Examine himself. Let a man examine himself. Oh friends, we don't want to be like the Pharisee. We don't want to be saying we're not like them. We're not like him. We're not like that one. We're not like this one. Lord, my walk has been so impeccable. I'm such a great guy or such a great girl that really, Lord, I never need the Holy Ghost to come and have a work with me. I want to tell you something that's a frightening place to come to. When no longer we're willing to, as just mere men and women, He knows our freedom and remembers that we are but dust he knows our weaknesses and our flaws we're all flawed individuals justified by the grace of god yes complete and perfect in his sight but we have a body that's never going to make it to heaven you understand see this body that you're carrying that's not going to heaven You remember that no matter how beautiful it is or how great you think it is or how great a shape it is, this body's not going to heaven. Why? Because it's flawed. We are getting a new body for a reason. We are getting a new body. This corruption will put on incorruption. We're getting a new body to go to heaven. So we carry in this this body around with us, this Christ is in us. We are born of the Spirit, but that's why we don't believe in sinless perfection because this body's not going to heaven. This body's flawed, it's prone to wander. It's against the Spirit. There's a battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And so. We must know that we're flawed individuals. There's a sanctifying work of God to sanctify this body to make us more like Him. But ultimately, friends, you're going to put this body that you're looking at in a hole someday. If the Lord doesn't come, one day I will be absent from this body, but I will be present with the Lord. So we've got got a problem. It's called the flesh. But are we willing to say to God would you examine me would you examine lord i'm willing to lay out i've been here from 1993 and so i'm willing to lay out this life and say lord lord is it all what i think it is am i really am i really that man am i really that woman Do I really walk with you? Do I really know you? Am I in communion with you? Are you really changing my life? Am I still being conformed to the image of Christ? Or this is something that I gave up 15 years ago. I'm no longer being conformed because I don't need to be conformed anymore because I'm just so wonderful. Or truly are we willing to say, To the day that the Lord Jesus calls us or comes. Now we must know that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. And being sanctified by the Spirit of God. And we will one day stand before him with an incorruptible body. And we will be just like him. But we're not yet. We're being perfected. It might burst some bubbles to realize tonight that you're not perfect. Amen? There's only one sin. One. That will prevent God from doing what He really wants to do in your life and mine. There are many sins you might think of, but there is one root sin that prevents God from working. And it's the sin of pride. The flesh, this carcass, this flesh, this body, your body, just in case you think it's not you, but your flesh, your body, that is what we inherited from a man and a woman who believed they could do it without God. That's what they did. And everything of that sin was pride. Pride of life. For anyone to claim ever that there is no pride in them, there's a serious problem because everything of this flesh emanates the pride of Adam and Eve. This is the sin, this sin, and I honestly believe That this is the reality in revival. This is really what happens. Pride is really dealt with, really dealt with severely by the Holy Ghost. But there has to be a willing party. Let's just look for a moment how God fused pride, what the Bible says, just a few verses. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, this is essential to spiritual warfare. James 4 and verse 6. James 4 and verse 6 says, He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God will resist. What what will he do? He will resist the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. There is a there is an a resisting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will resist. Think about it. He will resist this meeting. He will resist the individuals. He will resist us if there's pride in our hearts tonight. Think about that. Think about it. The next time you come to a prayer meeting, the next time you're coming into the fellowship. You're, you, you want to see God move. But the resisting. You know, I know it. I believe in spiritual warfare. And I believe in the demonic. And the activity of Satan. But I want to tell you something. Where God finds a people who are humble. And contrite in spirit. He says he dwells there. I am going to tell you. There is not a demon or a devil in hell. That's going to get a look in. It goes on to say, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Now here is the humble. Then it says, And resist the devil. There is a resisting. And then what happens? He flees. But the key in it was humility and spiritual warfare. In Psalm chapter 138 and verse 6, if you turn over Psalm 138 and verse 6, Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. He'll not come near. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Who is this to? It's to the lowly, the humble. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 5, the Bible tells us there that everyone that is proud in heart, listen to this, is an abomination to the Lord. That word's used quite a lot today in a lot of contexts, but think about this. The Pharisee will very quickly be saying what they think of, for example, the homosexual and using the word and it would be correct. But listen, I tell you what's another abomination. Those that are proud in their heart. In Proverbs 13 and verse 10, any time that you find contention amongst God's people, the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 10, only by pride, only by pride comes contention. Next time there's a a fallout, a rye, a contention, something happening, remember this verse. It has only come, only come because of pride. That's how it's come. But Jimmy done that, and Peter done that, and Mary done that, and Lizzie done that. Well, they may have done all that, but when there's contention, it only comes. The Bible says that's our authority. It only comes by pride. Proverbs 28 and 25, when you see strife, things being stirred up in the church. Proverbs 28 and 25 says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. Boy, the church needs revival. We need revival. But can you say, I need revival? When the prayer meetings are hard, it might be, just might be, and we need discernment, but it may be that it's absolutely nothing to do with demons. In Leviticus 26, to a people the Lord is speaking to that would turn from his way, In Leviticus 26 and 19, the Lord talks about the pride of their power that he would break it. But this is what he said that he'll do with them. I will make your heaven as iron. And I will make your earth as brass. I have said it. I have said it. Boy, the heavens, it was like they were hard it may be that it actually isn't demonic powers. It might be that there's a wrestling or there's a conflict, but it might be also that it's the pride in the hearts of God's people that God is resisting a prayer meeting. I know this doesn't really go down well in the modern stuff, but this is what the Bible says. Three things that pride will do to you. Three things. There's other things, but three things I want to point out. In Obadiah, in verse 3, these. this is the dangers of pride. Obadiah, verse 3 says, The pride of thine heart has deceived thee. first thing that pride will do will bring a deception. I want to tell you something. There is no worse type of deception than self-deception. There are seducing spirits. There's all manners of false teachers and false Christs that are bringing deception into the church. But there's a greater deception in all them. That is the deception that one is self-deceived. To be self-deceived is an awful thing. It's an awful thing. Because you have no ability... When you're deceived, you believe the lie, and I do believe there's spirits attached to that, that will bring lies. When we don't align ourselves to the Word of God, when we don't allow the Word of God to truly have an effect upon us, that it's not just that we're hearing messages after message after message, and it's like looking in the mirror, then we go away and we forget But truly it's more than just that we hear a message or that we're reading the word of God. But the Holy Spirit takes the word and that word becomes us and works in us and tries us and changes us by the grace of God. Making us the men and women that we could never imagine we could be. But that's what God does. I will make you, Peter, fishers of men. I'll do the work, but as you yield to me, I'll change you. The first thing is pride will deceive us and cause us to be self-deceived. In that verse it also says, thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rock whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who's going to bring me down? I'm the man or I'm the woman. Who's going to tell me? Who do they think? Who's going to tell me? See, when that attitude's there, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something, that's a dangerous place. In Psalm 34, is the second thing that happens with pride. Psalm 34 in verse 2. The Bible says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Then it says, The humble shall hear they're off and be glad. Here's what happens when there's pride. Pride people can't hear. Now they can hear, but they can't hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? They can hear, they can hear a thousand sermons. They could hear a thousand sermons, but they can't hear. There's a difference between, stay with me, hearing and hearing. Isn't that right? I know there's another difference between hearing and only hearing what you want to hear. That's a different thing. But there's a difference between hearing and hearing. One's with the two wee bits of flesh on the side of your head, and the other one is with the hearing of the heart. And see, self-deception. It's like artery. It's like your arteries are blocked. You can't hear. Jesus is speaking. But you haven't the ability to hear. What's he saying? How do you identify? How do you see that in your life? Are you being changed? Do you know, I don't want to be the same as what I am today, next year, if God spurs us. I don't want to be the same person. I'm not all it. The more it seems that I go forward, I more realize how far off I am and how more precious that He is. But I don't want to be the same. I want to be changed. When I'm 70, I want to be changed. I don't want to get to the plateau of the Christian experience that seems to happen today I've been doing this for 30 years, so now it's just take the handbrake off. It's downhill. We're just freewheeling here. We don't need to be changed anymore. We just become like a waiting room for heaven. We're all so great, and we're just going to wait where God's saying, I have more, and I want to be changing your life and changing my life to be more like Jesus. And when we bring our spiritual CV out, a bit like David and say, well, Lord, I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted you. And Lord, you judge me. But then, Lord, would you examine me that everything that I'm saying, is it actually real? Is the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, are they acceptable in your sight, Lord? Am I deceived? Have I deceived myself into thinking I'm so much more of a spiritual superhero than what I actually am? Pride will deceive us. Pride will not only deceive us, but pride will cause us not to hear. I tell you, brothers and sisters, isn't it such a precious thing to hear the still small voice of the shepherd? Come on, everyone who's saved has heard him. There's nothing like his voice. There's nothing like when you know that he touches that heart. There's nothing like when that moment, when that word like leaps off that page and you know that's a word for you, whether it's a word of encouragement or a word of rebuke or whatever that word is, but that you know this is my shepherd and he's dealing with me, but I know one thing, he's going to lead me in pasture's green. And so we lose the ability to hear. Not only that, I believe the next one is a, is a crisis. In Psalm 69, verse 32, it says, The humble shall see. The humble see. The opposite of that is the proud get spiritual cataracts and they're no longer able to actually have vision. Without a vision, we know that people perish. And when we begin to lose our vision, when we begin to lose our focus, when we begin to lose our sight, our spiritual sight, we know what happens. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Is that not a mark of the day that we have come to? And let me tell you, not in the world is that not a mark that we've come to in the church. When we deal with it and see it and identify it and hopefully by the grace of God we bring it out for what it is. Praise God, God doesn't want to leave us in that place. If we continue on resisting because of the pride in our hearts, not hearing and being deceived and not seeing. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before ruin or a fall. Do you know that the Lord, you might say, well, but Jesus loves me and he died for me and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Is that not all that matters? Yes. Yes. But he left us here in this planet to be a witness for him, to be conformed by him, to put faith in him, to trust him, to walk through valleys and mountains. Sometimes, has anyone been through a valley? Who's led you into the valley? Your good shepherd, who'll lead you out of it? Praise the Lord, the same one that led you into it. And what's he doing all the time and all the circumstances of our lives, the difficulties, the trials, everything, what is he working in us? that we learn to trust Him, we learn to lean on Him, we learn to hold on to Him because He's our good shepherd. But you know, Deuteronomy tells us that God put two million people through a wilderness to humble them. It just might be tonight that if you're here and you're in a wilderness experience, we talk about that a lot in church life and we all have had it, but it may not be because of the spiritual activity of demons and devils. It may not be that. And so sometimes we got to discern because, again, it's re- relating to pride. Because if we're not able to discern and we're being self-deceived and we're in the wilderness. And we're giving a gun hose on the devil. We can give a gun hose on the devil all day. It's nothing to do with the devil. We can get the DM boots on spiritually speaking and give him the message. But it just may not be anything to do with the devil. It might be that God is to humble you and to prove you and to know what's in our hearts. Do you not think he knew what was in their hearts? But see, in the end, it was them to find out what was in their heart. Because we don't know our heart. We think we do, but we really don't. Psalm 10 and 17 says, The Lord, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Lord, you'll cause their ear to hear. The desire of the humble, the desire of a people that are humble it says that the lord will prepare their heart the lord will prepare their heart and then he'll cause them their ear to hear do you see what's happening here when the condition humility is is a condition of the heart but when we come before him do you know what he says he'll do I'm going to prepare your heart. He prepares your heart. Then he says, and I will cause your ear to hear. To be of a humble spirit, Jesus said, you're the greatest in the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. David closed out in those verses and simply said, Lord, Lord, Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He said, restore. Restore. Fully revive. Bring back in my life the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I wonder, can you say with a hymn writer, truly tonight, search me, O Lord. Search me. Lord, know my heart. Do you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to condemn us. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us. but we have a responsibility to respond to the Holy Spirit. If there's anything in our lives, we should never, ever, ever be afraid or listen to anyone that tells us that we shouldn't come to God and say, Lord, would you try me? Would you search me? Would you deal with me? There's a lot of doctrines in the church today won't let us do that. Tell us not to do that. I want to tell you something. He convicts us. But as our experience has been in the past, and pray to God in the future because we need it, and I need it, may God come because he finds a heart that says, God, I'm just not in the place where I should be. But, oh, Lord, I need your grace, your enabling power, and your convicting power and your sanctifying power to change me, to make me more like you. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my wrong. Forgive me for my... See, what about the thoughts? What about the heart? What about the motives? What about the agendas? Nobody sees any of that. I want to tell you God sees it. What about the, the loose tongues? What about... Oh, friends, it's the Holy Spirit's work. And are we willing to say, Lord, here am I. Lord, would you examine me? Would you search me? Because really, this is where revival starts. This is where it starts. It's not out there. And it's not even all us. It's in there. Revival starts in me. And so may the Lord help us. We don't want, and I know it's the desire of everyone in this room, we don't want to be like the Pharisee that says, that was a great message for him. I hope he got it. Or I hope she's listening tonight because that was a real message for her. I just hope that tonight, All of us individually and collectively can say, Lord, Lord, and I say this to you, I'm saying, Lord, oh God, examine me. Try me. Deal with me. Because I want this Christ. I want the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to sing about revival and be called home. Our Christ comes I want to live in revival and thank God for what he did in our lives and others in this room 17, 18 years ago our brothers and sisters is 2019 about to be 2020 and we need to allow God to have his way. Let's spend these moments tonight. I just encourage you to make an altar of your chair if you so feel led of the Lord to do that. I just believe we need to wait on the Lord for a time. Allow the Lord just to take (coughs) this word. Believe us from the Lord to deal with me, to deal with you. Get before him. Let us allow the Spirit of God. Are we willing to allow the Spirit of God to have his way? Truly? I believe we are. Let's seek him together tonight. Allow him to speak to us. Jesus' name.